With the goal of advancing interoperable, secure nationwide health information exchange, the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT recently unveiled a draft Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement. ONC says the framework, which includes a variety of security components, is structured to create a single on-ramp for the most common exchange use cases. But what do health data experts think about this? I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee, Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with one of those experts, Dr. David Kibbe, a physician and president and CEO of Direct Trust, which is a nonprofit organization that serves as a forum and governance body for the direct secure exchange of health data. Dr. Kibbe will be providing his assessment of ONC's proposed trusted exchange framework. So, Dr. Kibbe, overall, what do you think of the draft trusted exchange framework that ONC issued? What do you like about it? What don't you like? Well, I think like a lot of people in health IT, I'm trying to read through this and uh, understand it. It's a fairly ambitious program, and it has a lot of moving parts. But it appears that the TEFCA rules, uh, TEFCA stands for Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement, will set up a voluntary federation for standards-based health information exchanges, limiting the kind of exchanges that fall under this common agreement to uh, and the terms and conditions of those to those for pull and query response, and, and doing all of this under a new oversight and governance uh, entity that would be created called a recognized collaborating entity, RCE. Now, this is all reminiscent of what evolved over time in the Federated Network of Networks for Direct Exchange, which is now governed by Direct Trust and and our trust framework. So direct is an on-ramp par excellence. And so I have to like the general idea here that TEFCA is introducing, although uh, there are some differences, and TEFCA is pretty complicated compared to direct. So, Dr. Kibbe, to whom is this framework directed? Is this something that current health information exchange organizations would need to implement in order to become what the framework calls a qualified health information network? And what about healthcare entities that are members or participants of these qualified HINs? For instance, the hospitals and the clinics that share patient data over these exchanges, would those hospitals and clinics need to implement the security elements of this framework in order to participate in the qualified HINs? I think you're asking the $64,000 question. Let me answer it by continuing to compare what I understand about TEFCA with the direct trust framework. So one of the several differences between TEFCA and the direct trust framework for health information exchange is the difference between HISPs and the notion of qualified health information networks or QHINs, qualified HINs that you just mentioned. In direct exchange, HISPs link just about anybody to a national framework for transport of health information that's secure and interoperable and reaches over 110,000 healthcare organizations now. The HISPs manage the technology of exchange and its security. On the other hand, qualified HINs are much more complicated nodes on the new network, if you will. They have to be HINs, health information networks, but they also have to have a set of complex data and information management services that includes the following, master patient index, record locator service, broadcast 
and directed query capability and the capability to return an authorized requesting qualified health information networks request. So the idea is similar, that is, of linking healthcare provider organizations in a federated open network that's highly standards-based in terms of transport and open in terms of content and is vendor neutral. But the organizational units doing the exchange are very, very different. A qualified health information network, by definition, centralizes the data it receives from healthcare provider organizations. We've seen because they have to have those services. And that's why they need those services like MPI, Record Locator, and Directed Queries, and so forth. A HIST is much simpler. It doesn't centralize the data or manage it in any way other than to make it secure for transport via the direct protocols. So I think Kafka has a strong underlying ethic to its design, but it's much more complicated as well. And you have raised the question of, of not only, I think, implicit is, is who would qualify under the definition of, of qualified HIN. And then the very much related question is, why would anybody become a qualified health information network? What incentives are there? So, Dr. Kibbe, based on that and based on the definition of the Qualified Health Information Network that is laid out in the ONC framework, direct trust would not be considered a qualified HIN. Is that right? And what about the HISPs? Would the HISPs be able to apply to become a qualified HIN if they meet the criteria that's set up in the framework? And please explain a little bit to our listeners what the HISPs are versus HINs under this framework. So let me try to do that. And again, I think there is some confusion out there with respect to who ONC is trying to consider a qualified health information network. But I think the definition of qualified health information network requires that you meet, first of all, the definition of a health information network. And anyone can read the documents to see what that is. I think it's clear that Direct Trust as an organization and its HISPs are health information networks but we would not qualify, no component of our network would qualify as a qualified health information network. Uh, because of the reasons I just mentioned, we don't have record locators in our network. Uh, we're involved in moving data from one place to another securely and in an interoperable fashion. But uh, unlike health information exchanges, direct trust doesn't centralize these data anywhere. And that's one of the big differences here. The implication from the Kafka rule so far is that most qualified health information networks would be HIEs, <laughs> what we think of now as regional health information exchanges. There are about 100 of those in the country. It's not clear to me that all 100 of those HIEs would either qualify to be or want to be qualified health information networks. And it's also not clear to me if there are other organizations like hospitals or healthcare systems or clearinghouses or payers who would similarly qualify to be qualified health information networks and want to be qualified health information networks. So I think we need additional guidance and definition from ONC before we can really answer that question. And the next question, of course, is, well, would we want to become a qualified health information network? Because there are some costs associated with becoming a qualified health information network that have to be thought through. So, Dr. Kibbe, as a whole, what's your assessment of the existing health information exchange organizations that are currently operating? Do you think it will be a leap for many of them to implement this framework? 
especially the security components in order to become qualified HINs. Some of the security components, for instance, go beyond what HIPAA requires. Let's tease this out a little bit. It's not clear to me what incentive any organization would have to voluntarily submit to a common agreement, such as in TEPCA, that might require modifications to existing participation agreements and trust frameworks that would be a requirement of inclusion as a qualified health information network to support the provisions and additional permitted disclosures required by TEPCA. So let me answer your question by referring to this idea that there are additional permitted disclosures which include for public health, for benefits determination, and individual access by patients that would mean the qualified health information networks would be required to open up, so to speak, their data stores via services they might not yet have. And they might need to devote additional resources in their networks to make upgrades to meet these newly mandated IT capabilities. And I think what we're doing right now is discussing, I am, but many other people around the country, what those changes might look like. And would the costs involved in these permitted, new permitted disclosures and this concept of an on-ramp that allows an end user to access many health information exchanges, not just one, are those acceptable within the framework that's being provided here, which is not include new money? <laughs> so it's, it's very important to understand that there don't appear to be any additional funds to pay a qualified health information network to become a qualified health information network if they aren't yet. And, and so I think uh, we're going to have to wait perhaps months before we understand precisely who will want to qualify as a health information network and what will be the costs and benefits of their doing so. So, Dr. Kibbe, based on that, what does your gut tell you? I know that this is just a draft version of what ONC says it will later, I guess, tweak based on the kinds of public comment that it receives. Do you think this framework will potentially help fulfill that vision for nationwide interoperable and secure health data exchange? Why, why not? I I have to say that this is going to be um, the focus of the commentary by many people and stakeholders in this uh, area. And that the comment, I would encourage any of your listeners to make comments to ONC because I know they're looking for them. I think that ONC is going to get some mixed comments. There are some very good things in uh, TEFCA. For example, the emphasis on identity management and additional security that would be required. I think that's uh, good and needs to be considered by all the different parties that might be participants. I also think that it's very ambitious to... Uh, require health information exchanges or these qualified health and information networks to open their data stores to the public, to you and me as patients. That's a big leap. Most health information exchanges in the country, for example, don't now provide patient access. Some do, but some don't. I think those positive elements of this plan are going to be juxtaposed with comments that um, this is awfully complicated. It is in some ways quite top-down, the requirements for an RCE. They will be uh, looked at very carefully by the legal teams and health information exchanges around the country to assure that uh, any common agreement doesn't interfere with 
existing contracts and participation agreements in the health information exchanges and so on. So right now, it's a bit of a mixed bag with a lot of questions to be answered before ultimately qualified health information networks line up to participate. And finally, Dr. Kibbe, on a slightly different topic, what should we be watching for in 2018 from Direct Trust? Anything that you'd like to discuss in terms of plans or initiatives underway? Well, Direct Trust is going to continue doing what we do well. We have had enormous growth in the, in the, the network of networks that uh, use Direct Exchange. I think if there's any sort of trend that we are going to be supporting in 2018, it will be the use of Direct Exchange for non-transitions of care use cases. That is, for a more generic transfer of health information securely and interoperably for movement of, of other kinds of data besides those used in care coordination and transitions of care. For example, laboratory results tests, HL7 feeds, replacement of facts for all sorts of kinds of documents, and those kinds of use cases are, I think, going to be, be growing in 2018, and, and we will be supporting those. One other thing that's on the radar and we're working on very diligently is to use our public key infrastructure, the certificate policy and the, the management of digital certificates infrastructure that we have in place to support other technologies, in particular fire. So we're working with the fire and HL7 community to enable some of the components of the trust framework that we've built around direct to be used to support interorganizational fire queries. And I think that's that's very exciting and would potentially be very efficient and obviate the need to reinvent some of those scalable trust relationships. Thanks, Dr. Kibbe. I've been speaking to Dr. David Kibbe of Direct Trust. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.